It's Monday, May 15th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Stock Advisor Canada, Taylor Muckerman, and from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser. Happy Monday, gents. Yes, indeed. Happy Mother's Day after. Exactly. Did you it, get yourself in trouble yesterday, or did it work no, out all right? No, no. I called my mom, and you know, with the kids, you know, made, di- made dinner for the missus. Ah, so all, all, all good things. What did you make? Uh, well, we had a bit of a mixed grill. I was going to say what she wanted ultimately. Yeah, exactly. Right? A little swordfish. Hey, oh, I, you know, all right. Uh, and I'll you know, little swordfish, little shrimp, little sausage. I was talking about this with my next door neighbor because um, he was out there grilling as well, and I, I sort of feel like if you're grill. I, Anytime I'm grilling, and I'm just thinking, okay, well, I can basically grill whatever, and I find that my wife is often like, "Wow, you don't you don't have to do like multiple things," and I just sort of feel like, well, it's grilling, like yeah. you know, that's that's not it's not like a stove where you have to manage a bunch of different. I just feel like no, I can grill three, four different things. Like that's not a problem, not at all. Unless- my philosophy is that when you're grilling burgers or steak. If you're not throwing some andouille sausage or perhaps some shrimp or something else on there, you're just not leveraging. You're being a little lazy. Your grilling infrastructure. I mean, you got to go ahead. I like and the business aspect. You got to understand the operating leverage that's in play here. Okay, you're gonna get that thing started up. Make the most of uh, of the time that you're putting in. You're hurting the gross margins of the propane. Let's not hurt the gross margins. <laughs> I think we're done now. That's going to do it for today's edition. Uh, we're going to dip into the full mailbag, but I think we should start with um, one of the big stories over the weekend, which is having uh, ripple effects on Wall Street, and that is the cyber attacks that took place affecting businesses around the world. Uh, there's the the two different the the ransomware attack, which encrypts files and then demands payment to unlock them, and the so-called WannaCry malware that uh, that was spreading around the world and affecting businesses. And maybe not surprisingly, cybersecurity stocks are looking good today. Symantec, Palo Alto Networks, FireEye, shares all up between 4 and 8% today. Again, not a surprise that they're up, but I, I'm sort of I'm sort of curious about this industry because I look at cyber attacks as something that is only going to get worse. There are only going to be more of them in the future. And so, why, why is it? I'm not saying these stocks should be up every day, but what is going on with these businesses that these that we're not seeing a bigger sort of bull run on these stocks? Do you want to start? Well, yeah. I mean, I think it's it's very fragmented industry, so I'm I'm not sure that there's like any clear cut winners. Not just one winner, but I think that uh, you've got a lot to choose from, and a lot of private companies in this space too. So I think that the the fragmentation might be one reason why. Um, but you see this every time after after there's a hack of of meaningful size, um, they they pop in the next few days, and then they come back down to earth. Uh, I don't think a lot of these businesses are, you know. They don't have the stability that you might see because a lot of them are fairly new. So I just think there's still some hesitation around who might be the winners here. Uh, kind of like 3D printing, which we might talk about a little later. We'll get into that. A, the industry makes a lot of sense, but I, I still think that some of the companies in there, um, because just like uh, this this industry, a lot of 3D printing companies are privately held. So there's competition behind the scenes that investors might not are, uh, be witnessing, um, and I think that probably holds true here with the cybersecurity industry. Yeah, I, I mean, I think. Um I mean, I think first and foremost, it is an extremely difficult market to understand. I mean, I think it's difficult for an, an investment analyst to understand, and and I mean, I think it's it's a difficult market for 
those market professionals to understand even. Um, but I, I think you have to ask yourself a question: what what really constitutes a sustainable edge? In this line of work, because really, when you think about it, the nature of the market, the nature of cyber threat, is to always become something that no one has ever seen before. You have to be fluid, yeah. Right? And then, how do you prepare for that? And then, how do you determine what company is best prepared for that? Because you really don't know until hindsight. Well, everybody was prepared for that one, except for that company and that company. So, I mean, it's it's just very difficult to sort of suss out the winners. I mean, like you said, I think in general. The concept makes sense. It seems like it would be an opportunity. I mean, albeit one we're, we're tending to root against these types of things, but they're going to happen no matter what. Uh, but I think I think it's so fluid and 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 it's so difficult to figure out what constitutes any kind of a sustainable edge. There, it just makes it really difficult to to pick a winner, and and it's fragmented. And then you have. Private opportunities versus public opportunities. I mean, it just it is. I mean, tech moves fast, and I, I think this moves even faster. And you don't know you need it until it's too late. Like yeah. if you're a company, how how are how are these Palo Alto networks and FireEyes? I mean, yeah, they can say we prevented this from happening because they can see the attacks and that they were rebutted. But until your company is attacked, you kind of be like, yeah, we're just paying these people. And we're not really sure what they're doing for us. And until something like this happens, and then everyone probably freaking out. We have to go. We have to go pay somebody to help us, and then a year goes by and no attacks, and then you kind of maybe go by the wayside again until something like this happens. MarketFoolery at Fool.com is our email address. Uh, from Matt Riley, haven't heard you guys talk much about 3D printing in a while. I was wondering if you had any thoughts on companies or the state of that industry. Um, I personally, I'm not investing in any of the 3D companies. I like if I'm gonna want to benefit from it, GE might be the first place I would look. They they made a couple of 3D printing acquisitions last year, up to about one and a half billion dollars. So they're using it in-house, and then I'm I'm sure they're gonna work a way into you know providing additive manufacturing opportunities to some of their customers. But first and foremost, they're trying to get in there and reduce their cost by using it to their advantage rather than trying to compete in the 3D printing market. And I think. Um, that's where I would bet that it's really going to make a difference is internally for some of these giant manufacturing companies. Um, I think it was 3D printing kind of you know eliminated their consumer-based business last year because they just didn't see the future and it was competitive and and there wasn't a huge market for it. Stratus is still trying to achieve some some relevance in the consumer space, but uh, I, I'm going to bet on that in the in the giant manufacturing space rather than trying to pick the winners that are trying to sell these machines to folks individually. Yeah, it's like the old uh, adage in politics that I think was was born out of uh, the Watergate era and all the presidents men follow the money. <laughs> I think if yeah. you if you look at the GEs, kind of like we're it maybe related to what we're seeing in artificial intelligence and just sort of like home assistants and that mm-hmm. sort of thing, where you see IBM and then. Amazon, Google, Microsoft really starting to pour money into those home assistants, that sort of thing. I think I think Taylor's right that this is this is where you want to watch like to see sort of the next move or the the next wave of 3D printing. Keep an eye on where GE is spending and where sort of the other big manufacturers are spending. Yeah, I mean the technology is super cool, but I mean the consumer implications are just they're not directly 
Ty does, right? I mean, I, I, we benefit from Apple and Ford and GE all using that technology. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I, I, I you don't want one in your garage? <laughs> no, I, I mean, I it requires really some technical <laughs> skills. There's a high hurdle for people. They can't just. I, I wouldn't imagine you could just go out and buy a 3D printer and plug it in and. Read a, read an instruction manual and then be cranking out a bicycle in the next two weeks. Um, well, I mean, and let's think about just the level of frustration <laughs> in just having a regular printer. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I mean, how often <laughs> just do you HP, hit print yeah. and then you're like, won't connect. You're like, out of ink, <laughs> out of paper. Damn R- it, I mean, running just low do on something. toner. Yeah, it's, it's just, I mean, so, I mean, consumer-wise, the implications aren't there, and so... It's it's neat technology. I think you're you're seeing some consolidation in the space, like you were saying, Stratasys. I think 3D printing um, was the other company that I think is very well known for this. A company I think that probably doesn't get enough uh, credit for this space is Proto Labs yep. because Proto Labs mm-hmm. was focused more on uh, sort of the the design software and prototype yep. um, production for smaller businesses, individuals, and whatnot, making it very easy to get those types of 3D printed products without having to actually invest in that infrastructure. And they're buying some more 3D printing capabilities as well. But then the manufacturers turn to them to, to prototype right. it. Rather than the, them trying to sell a product, they're selling a service. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, it just like we talked about it before, but I go back to that Jeff Bezos quote where he talked about the toaster. I mean, you could just click buy a toaster on Amazon and in less than a day have a toaster at your doorstep, or you could go buy a 3D printer, buy all of the things that <laughs> comprise the the toaster, and, and and you print off a toaster, and that's going to be really cool. It's probably going to take a while. Yeah, you burn toaster your house probably down. Not going to work as well. Yep, very well maybe. They're not going to be a warranty on that toaster. <laughs> no. I mean, so there's just no reason really to go through all of that other than just to say, hey, that's pretty cool technology. Um, like like most things. Uh, like you said, follow the money. I mean, these companies that have the big money and the resources and the wherewithal to use those resources, they're going to. In between, sort of the GEs and those types of companies spending and investing in this space and using 3D printers, and at presumably some point in the far future, a lot of people have these in their homes. When I think about an in-between step, I think about contractors. I think about people whose business is building homes, and I think that could be an intermediate step where you see, whether it's through a Home Depot or or just sort of on their own, if you see contractors saying, "You know what? This is actually worth it to me for the supplies that I'm using. I can very quickly, I don't have to order and keep in inventory." Lots of different sizes of screws, nails, whatever. Pipe fittings, whatever. Yeah, yeah, I can just I can customize what I need on the spot. The medical profession, I yeah. think that's another one where I mean we're going to see more and more. I mean, consumers again are going to be the beneficiaries here. It's not going to be something where you're going to go print off your hip replacement, but <laughs> there is going to be a company that's going to be able to do that in far less time for far less money. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, again, you look at the the industries that are gonna that are gonna really benefit from this disruptive technology. It's not it's not it's not quite like the internet, you know, in that the internet has given us all of these opportunities in the public markets because of of the way it's disrupted virtually everything we do. I mean, three D printing technology is certainly disruptive, but it's just not as disruptive on the consumer front. Uh, email from Axel Bruckner in Germany. I heard you speaking recently about good indicators for a strong U.S. housing market in the future. So I'm curious, 
How you would evaluate Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, the upside for these stocks seems tremendous compared to the risk. What do you think, Jason? Um, I, I would actually probably beg to differ there. And I mean, I, I, I guess maybe he's thinking upside uh, compared to risk, and risk being that these are companies that are more or less underwritten by <laughs> the U.S. government. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, from that perspective, the risk is generally speaking probably pretty low, but I think. Understanding what these companies do, I mean, they make their money from essentially fees and net net interest margins. So they're they're more or less like a bank. Um, but I, I I don't know. They're not businesses. They're not stocks that trade on any underlying business fundamentals. I think they tend to trade more on who's in office and what court ruling recently went in their favor or in someone else's favor. So it just to me they're not really businesses as much as they are just sort of necessary entities and and we're trying to figure out exactly where they fit in in our housing market going forward because clearly um, something went wrong. You know, not too terribly long ago. I mean, I think when we look at housing in general, I mean, I think the housing opportunity for investors is is absolutely a must in the portfolio. I mean, I think you look at that as one of the bigger sort of uh, picture plays that you need to have in your portfolio, one way or another. I would not look at one of these two businesses as a way to do this. I think if you're looking for, um, if, if you're considering one of these businesses, I don't know why you wouldn't just pick like a big bank because then at least you have sort of a a bank that's going to be based on sort of profits, and you're going to see dividends and stocks that trade a bit more in fundamentals. Uh, but I think the opportunity is there. I mean, if you look at the at the home ownership rate here, uh, going back to 2005, right about when it peaked, it's been on a pretty steady decline Slow. since then. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it, it's reverted all the way back to to really below where it was in 1995. So I, I think there are plenty of opportunities. I think this this notion that millennials are not buying houses is misguided. Um, there there is data that proves that they are. I mean, they're certainly being a bit more uh, particular and a little bit more um, considerate when they're buying houses. But I mean, homeownership's like one of those things where yeah, at 20 years old, nah, I'm not going to buy a house. Of course not. I'm going to tell you I'm not going to buy a house. But man, life happens when you hit 25, 30 years old. Things change. You don't. Mean for them to change, they just do, and so. Well, and that's also one, one of those narratives that's now like four or five years old. Sure. Yeah. So you know, that's there are stories that I've seen online that sort of speak to that. They're sort of parroting that same line, and you read them, and you just think, um, I think you're being kind of lazy because there's. What do you mean the, the, the millennials well, just, aren't buying? Yeah, homes just or, just yeah. sort of the like. Well, that was the case five years ago, and the data proved it. Therefore, I'm just going to repeat that line again. It's like. Um, Maybe it's time for some updated data. Right. Well, if, if millennials aren't buying homes, then I mean, you need to prepare for a home ownership rate more mm-hmm. like forty percent. And I'm just telling you, that's that's not going to happen. Um, so yeah, I think they're not getting the opportunity. Not that they don't want right. to. But a lot of the new home builds are, are generally being priced mid market to high market now. They're not really getting entry level prices to buy their first house. So it's not they probably want to. It's just a little bit more difficult for them to um, because I think new builds are still. Pre-recession levels. Uh, I mean, it's on an up uphill slope right now, but we're still far, far behind in terms of opportunities to buy a brand new house for these folks. And in some of the hotter cities where you're seeing millennials move, they they're priced out of the market, and it's just become a rental society in a lot of these cities with banks 
after the recession, buying up a lot of the inventory and then renting it out and not tr- offering these used homes for sale. And if you're not building new homes, you're kind of stuck in limbo there. Yeah, and the economics just sort of dictate it, right? It's mm-hmm. all about supply and demand, yeah. just just like any other market. I, mean, I, was, I was reading about this, and I think it was Minnesota of all places. And um, it just you're seeing homes that are going on markets that they don't last but a couple of days mm-hmm. on the market, and then boom, they're gone. And I mean, I'm just speaking from recently selling a townhouse of ours in Fairfax here, which is a pretty good sort of entry level price. For for this area, I mean, this is an area where housing housing is is a bit more expensive. Um, our house was gone in less than a weekend, you know, because the the price was attractive. So you're seeing in areas where millennials or or first time home buyers have that opportunity, they're definitely jumping in there. And and where there is lower supply, well, those home builders are going to come in and start building more. Yeah. Um, for, for for those those types of buyers, and so then you you look at all of the different ways you can. You can participate in sort of that market, and it's anywhere from retail like Home Depot to uh, something like Ellie Mae, which I've talked about a million times on mm-hmm. our shows, just taking a part of every loan that goes on out there, or or something like a big bank where you can get that sort of dividend income. Timber, timber companies, nice diversifier, materials, you know, softwood, yep. lumber. Um, and, and I mean, I just I look at something like Freddie Freddie Mac or Fannie Mae, and I just think, well, I just. There's better options out there. Way, for, way yeah. better options. I do, however, like how Axel is thinking about it, just in terms of the upside relative to the risk. Yeah, just yeah, absolutely. Re- regardless of whatever stock yeah. you're looking at, that's a that's a great exercise to go through. No question. Uh, shout out to one of our longtime listeners, Levi Waddell in South Dakota. This past Saturday, he ran the Brookings South Dakota Half Marathon. He uh, Mentioned that during the marathon, he had saved up a week's worth of podcasts. <laughs> so hopefully, we didn't slow him down. Hopefully, hopefully that I was. I gotta helpful. finish. I can't listen to this yeah, anymore. Exactly. Like, yeah, exactly. I gotta buy that stuff. Well, at least it's on the way. No, I think it was more like Taylor's. Right? Like, God, the sooner I'm done with this race, the sooner I can stop listening. Uh, the geniuses at Mondelez are at it again. They have unveiled the firework Oreo. That's right. It's an Oreo with Pop Rocks. Uh, embedded in the cream filling, and you—I was about to say you couldn't pay me to eat one of these. You could; it would cost you a lot more money than you think. Just um, don't drink Coca-Cola while you're eating these. Exactly. Things. Uh, I do like, however, what they did along with this. They um, and a bunch of people have, have emailed and tweeted about this. Uh, uh, Mondelez is offering a five hundred thousand dollar prize uh, for people to submit ideas for their next. Limited edition flavor, and if you think about what uh, Pepsi did with Frito Lay uh, and the contest they had for people to submit ideas for potato- flavored potato chips, that that seemed to work out pretty well for them. So, I just based on what I've seen this morning on Twitter, it's a wonderful mix of people offering legitimately good. I've already I'm already on record as um, as offering up ham and potatoes. Ham and potatoes. Just, I'd say, just go totally contrarian. In fact, I'll, I'll probably tweet that out to the uh, so Oreos the, people with the with the uh, hashtag my Oreo creation. Just so like, what's hey. going to be the cream and the the cookie flavor? You know what? I leave that to the leave the, that to them. The, the culinary geniuses <laughs> to figure that out. But I'm just I'm going savory. I'm going I'm far far away from the dessert. I'm going ham and potatoes. But if you go on Twitter and you just type in, you know, you do that hashtag my Oreo cre- yeah. creation. There are some things that look legitimately tasty, 
And then you have people who are just completely trolling. Secret of the use. Just trolling Mondelez well, I mean, with it's things a very like troll worthy request. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, in today's and probably, even, they probably want some of that. Sure. People are also people are also putting their Photoshop skills to work, coming <laughs> up with like packages of Oreos that they've you know photoshopped to include their flavor. My favorite being um, codeine and cannabis. Nice. <laughs> just nice. like sure, why not? Kick back, you. I, it prevents so the I coughing while you're yeah yeah coating I, on top. I of wonder it. so like so you're going full savory like and I'm not I'm not so well schooled on this. Are there any savory flavors to this point, or are they all geared towards the sweet tooth? Like I mean, Oreo obviously is geared towards the sweet tooth, yeah. sweet tooth generally, but I mean, are there savory? Oreo flavors that we had an Oreo think happy hour last year at the Fool, and I don't remember seeing anything too savory, yeah. like a chicken and Maybe. waffles, I guess. Yeah, would be. but yeah. they did that with like the potato chips. I'm not volunteering that as a flavor. I mean, like on the one hand, I, I like where you're going with this. I mean, the oh, savory, I'm not going to win, just, but maybe I, not. Maybe if not. We talk but, about but, it on the air enough. Yeah, I like that thinking. I mean, but but when I I so like the one thing I was looking at to me. Like it strikes me that a banana cream pie Oreo just makes perfect sense. I f- I figured there would have been this flavor by now, but I can't find it. Um, They've trotted out about sixty different flavors, yeah. sixty different they varieties. They have to have a banana cream pie, right? Uh, take to Twitter and maybe you fire just, that up. Maybe you really take this in a completely different direction, and you put up something like an IPA flavor for all of you craft beer lovers out there. I mean, an IPA has a very unique hoppy flavor. Maybe an IPA Oreo is just what the doctor. Anheuser Busch might try to buy Oreo if they do that. That's a distinct possibility. <laughs> I just hope that uh, whoever wins this is actually one of the dozens, and that that <laughs> yeah. when they accept, you know, after they accept the half million dollar check, they're like, <laughs> okay, seriously, just just knock it off. And they send us a box of the flavor that we <laughs> exactly. that they put yeah. their name. All right, Jason Moser, Taylor Markman, thanks for being here, guys. Thank you. Cheers. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.